from MPB Think Radio. This is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. I'm Java Chapman here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. The name Ed Scott may not ring any bells, but if you are a lover of catfish, he will after today's show. We will talk with author Julian Rankin, whose new book, Catfish Dream, is all about the life, struggles, and success of Ed Scott, the first African-American catfish plant owner in the nation. So stay tuned as we talk about this catfish and farming trailblazer. And as always, we want to know what's going on in your kitchen. So share your questions and comments with us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to food at mpbonline.org. This is Deep South Dining from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back from MPB Think Radio. This is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. Did I really just say that? <laughs> I really just said that. Well, I'm Java Chapman. As you can hear, Kevin Farrell is actually on the other side of the booth. It's not a freaky Friday. It's a, I guess, a what, a mix-up Monday. <laughs> Kevin's on the other side of uh, engineering, producing today's show, and I'm taking over host duties. And I'm uh, with, you know, the lovely Miss Deborah Hunter. And today we're going to be talking with author Julian Rankin, who just wrote a new book, Catfish Dream. It's all about the life struggles and success of Ed Scott. And if you don't know the name Ed Scott, I'm going to make sure you know about it by the end of the hour. He was the first African-American catfish plant owner in the nation. And of course, he's from Mississippi. So it happened right here in the catfish home of uh, of the world, the catfish capital of the world, Mississippi. So stay tuned. And we're going to talk about that throughout the hour. But First, you know, we got to catch up with Miss Deborah Hunter. How you doing today? I am fantastic. Oh, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> now that's a constant. <laughs> I know that every 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 time uh, Kevin asks that question, uh, that's like that's your answer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> the other answers suck, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. true. You're yeah. here. We're on uh, MPB Think Radio. It's Deep South Dining. And uh, yeah, as always, um, how was your weekend? Oh, my gosh. So let me tell you, I spent my entire Saturday at the Mississippi Museum of Science. Ah. I had the best time ever. There was a health fair and um, Cooking with Honey and Friends were invited and we got to showcase our cookbook and share some treats. And it was hosted um, by the Q's and it was just really, really fantastic. They treated me like a queen the whole weekend. I got to hang out with some dinosaurs and learn some stuff. <laughs> the kids were fantastic. Now, when uh, you say the Q's, the fraternity Omega yes, Sci-Fi? Okay, the, the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity <laughs> Incorporated. Okay, there we go. <laughs> right? <laughs> And uh, so they were just absolutely fantastic. They showed a lot of love, uh, Java. It was just incredible weekend. And, of course, then it was Father's Day. 
And, uh, you know, my dad is just still kind of over the moon because of the things that we are doing here at MPB and, you know, across the state. So this week I'm his favorite child and I'm oh, happy about that. And I actually got to meet uh, meet dad and so did your Monday morning uh, husband, <laughs> your Monday morning yeah, man. Yeah, well, Kevin got to meet his in-laws. That was so funny. I actually got really cute pictures of uh, Kevin standing in between my mom and dad, you know. So and, and seriously, so there's going to be a picture framed and he, Kevin. And will be with the family and people say, who is that? And I go, you know, that's my husband. So it is what it is. <laughs> and that's how it goes. Oh, well, I'm glad you had a nice weekend. It was Father's Day weekend. So uh, to all the fathers out there, I want to say happy Father's Day uh, from yesterday. Um, my weekend, it was pretty good. I actually got a chance to see uh, the play at New Stage Theater, Sister Act. Okay. Yeah, they talked. They brought uh brought the from the movie, the Whoopi Goldberg movie. Uh, they made it into a play and they brought it to New Stage Theater. So me and my wife got a rare date night. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So where were the kids? They were with the babysitter. Get out of here! <laughs> yeah, if you can believe it, it happened. We stepped I'm outside so of the house without the kids. <laughs> now the only thing we didn't get a chance to get something to eat because you know we just we were running. Wow! Wow! <laughs> but speaking of uh, something to eat, you brought us in another delicious dish and it's kind of right on time because I know several people are coming around with these summer coals. Well, this is just really some comfort food. I needed some comfort food this morning. So I got up this morning and I fixed what I call my Mississippi pea pot. And the base of this dish is black eyed peas, okra, tomatoes, corn, and it's loaded with yummy, yummy sausage. Uh, it's got uh, bell pepper and onions in it, and it's the the flavor and texture is just perfect. And of course, my Monday morning man is not feeling well today, so this was perfect for Kevin. And um, I truly hope that he and he's giving me the thumbs up right now. <laughs> now, that, the one thing I like about it is full of sausage. Absolutely, Chock full of sausage. And it's a Mississippi <laughs> product, you know. It's so it's it's this is a perfect time for farm to table. Uh, dinners almost every night because, you know, we're harvesting all of these amazing fresh fruits and vegetables. So go out to your farmer's market, support your local farmers. I mean, they do a really great job to bringing you the best of the best. So skip the drive through and go by the farmer's market and you know, fix something yummy for your family. It's funny that you said that, uh, stop by the farmer's market, because today we're going to be talking about Ed Scott. He was also um, not only uh, the first African-American catfish plant owner in the nation, but also a uh, celebrated farmer. Uh, I believe in the year 1978, he uh, made over a million dollars with rice. So just think about that. Um, and I actually put down in the script, I must must be a great producer. Uh, <laughs> and you are. I, I was going to ask when. Uh, was when, that a little ego, Kevin? I think he's sharing with us this morning. That's hilarious. When was the last time you um, uh, been to the farmer's market? Because you, like you say, it's a lot of fresh things coming out now since it's the summertime. A lot of fruits, a lot of vegetables uh, out there available for everyone. Well, I'm a regular at the farmer's market. You know, there's, um, of course, you have the farmer's market on High Street, but there's also one in Bi- Byram, Mississippi. Okay. And uh, so to be able to, uh, and then I have several friends who are farmers. So then I'm always getting, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables uh, all the time. I just, I believe in eating that way. It's, uh, it's just great to Southern tradition, you know, when you're cooking, whether it's fresh greens, you know, corn, 
okra, tomatoes. I mean, the list goes on. And the, the wonderful thing is, is because Mississippi has unusually some of the best soil found anywhere. And we have people uh, not just from other states, but for other countries that will literally lease land so that they can produce product to send, you know, out of the state. So we are really blessed here in Mississippi. Uh, you know, it was um, growing up in the 60s and 70s, and my grandparents were farmers. So for me, this is just so grassroots to be able to uh, cook meals that are produced, you know, with fresh fruit and vegetables. Oh, yeah. And uh, the one thing about your, what, what, what do we call this again? Mississippi, Mississippi Pea Pot. Pea Pot. Mississippi Pea Pot is so rich, full of uh, colors. Like they say with most of your, your um, plates, I have a balanced plate, should have a lot of colors, not just those browns from the fried and uh, the yeah, oily, well, usually, oily foods. Yeah, usually when you go through the drive through most of the stuff that you're going to get is either tan or brown or somewhere in the range of those colors. And every now and then you may get a you know piece of lettuce or tomato <laughs> on something. But, you know, to stop by even some of your local mom and pop restaurants uh, that are cooking, you know, fantastic, you know, down home southern meals is just a way to take care of your family. Uh, You know, it was like our guest last week. You know, they have a a constant menu. They will prepare things to bring it to your front door. And then we have all of these, uh, you know, fast again, fantastic runs, restauranteurs that are just uh, cooking delicious down home southern food. So there's no reason not to eat better. Oh, yeah. And uh, you you spoke about last week, which was actually uh, feast uh, specialty foods. And if you want to listen to that program uh, with Miss Camille Peoples, you can right now on our website, mpbonline.org. You can listen to anything you miss here on the uh, on the station. And if you want to join our conversation this morning, we've been talking. I don't think I've given out the phone number once. one 877 mpb ring That's one 877 Or as always, you can send an email to food at mpbonline.org. A little bit later, we'll be talking to uh, Julian Rankin about his new book, Catfish Dream. But I have a question. Now, I I, I, I go to the kitchen. Uh-huh. I don't stay long. I fix my plate and leave. <laughs> uh, but what, what a blessed guy you are. <laughs> what uh, What is this orange inside of this Mississippi pea pot? Well, basically what happens is after you add your sausage in, you're going to get the natural oils that are found in that sausage. Okay. And so uh, you got, your, again, you got your peas, your okra, there are tomatoes, there's corn in here. And then again, it's loaded with link sausage that's been cut into tiny little bites. Um, and so the oil from the sausage gives you that exciting flavor that you get in every bite of this dish along with those fresh, yummy vegetables. Are you chewing on air, Java? I'm doing my I'm doing my Kevin I'm doing my Kevin Farrell impression. It's a good it's a beautiful Monday morning, I'm telling you. I wish we could just send this throughout the throughout the airways. I can't believe I'm smacking on oh air. Oh my gosh, I, I mean doing it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, it's really funny, Java, because when we were at the science museum, that was one of the things that I would hear constantly. People enjoy Kevin and I hamming it up and you know, the idea that they're eat we're eating on air. And I had one person that says she always felt like she was eating with us. So that's really sweet. And I can't wait for us to take the next step, you know, and create a television show around all of this yumminess. We're working on that. So it's been a while in the mix, but we'll we're headed back to the television. So I'm excited about that. So not only will you be able to hear us, but you'll be able to see us as well. Oh yeah, and that's it's always amazing because just over the um what uh, uh, when you release your cookbook, uh, you had some people even come up from Louisiana. 
who uh, came and, uh, you know, got the got the cookbook and, and ate some of your food, who said that one of their, uh, I guess, a regret was that they weren't here in the state. Right. And they, you would always post your food and we'd talk about the food, but they could never taste it. But right. they actually came up and tasted it. That was it. really, really so that sweet. Was, that, yeah, yeah that, was, that was really good. Yeah, we had guests from uh, Louisiana and we had guests from Nashville that came up to uh, be with us. So I, I'm extremely honored that we had so many amazing people to just show up and love on us. Um, and it was really sweet to have Kevin just, you know, kind of hanging out. I really felt like I had my money husband hanging out. Oh with yeah. Me. It was, it was a family, <laughs> it was a family affair. And I, and I took home a lot of macaroni and cheese, <laughs> but we will say that for another discussion. We're going to go ahead and take our first break for the hour. Next up, we're going to bring in our uh, guest for today, Julian Rankin, author of the book, Catfish Dream, which is the true story of a trailblazing uh, farmer and entrepreneur, Ed Scott, the first African-American catfish plant owner in the nation. He will tell us all about the book and also how he likes his catfish. So stay tuned to join the conversation by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or send us an email to food at org. We'll be right back. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Back to Steve South Dining of Java Chapman, filling in for Kevin Fair today, sitting here with the lovely Miss Deborah Hunter. And today we're going to be talking with author Julian Rankin about his book, Catfish Dream Ed Scott's Fight for His Family Farm and Racial Justice in the Mississippi Delta. If you want to join the conversation, have a question for Julian or Deborah, or um, just want to tell us what's going on in your kitchen, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Or as always, you can send an email to food at mpbonline.org. And if you miss any part of the show, you can always listen back via our MPB public media app or the podcast on mpbonline.org. So, Julian... Welcome. Thank Good you. Good morning. Morning. I was kind of I was telling people, you know, what a way to start a morning some fried catfish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually had some yesterday. My dad, he's a uh, he's a good. I think that was a hint, hint, like, where's the fried kid? Oh, come on. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, maybe talking about it's a little better in the morning than eating it. But. I don't know. I could eat catfish any time of the day, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and it actually pairs well with all three meals. So Yeah, these yeah. Mississippi fillets, they, they are they are a delight. I could take it whole filleted barbecue. <laughs> Do you want me to go on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like I said, I had some uh, some catfish just yesterday. My dad, he's a... Uh, a fry master. We'll, okay. leave, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Julian, how you doing this morning, man? I'm doing wonderful. I want to say thank you for coming in and uh, thank you for writing this book. I didn't know too much about uh, Ed Scott. It's like a lot of Mississippi history is kind of uh, buried a little bit. And um, this is a, a, a great story. But before we get into that, uh, tell the people a little bit about your background. Sure. Well, I grew up in Mississippi. You know, this is a the, the book is set in the Mississippi Delta, of course. And when I First grew up, my first formative years, kind of age one through five, I lived in a little place called Shaw, Mississippi, which is near Cleveland. And then I, I also grew up in Oxford. So I'm Mississippi roots, and I, I work now at the Mississippi Museum of Art, where I've been for about eight years. So uh, I love Mississippi, and, and like you said, there's so many stories to tell. Everywhere you look, there's something to do and, and collaborate on. And so this book is 
that come into fruition? It's it's finding a story and being fortunate to find one and then figuring out how we can share it with the world. Yeah, like that is true. And how did you, um, I guess, first learn about uh, Ed Scott Jr.? Well, he had been written about a little bit and um, previously. So, you know, some of the folks, John T. Edge, who's the director of the Southern Foodways Alliance, did a, a really important piece in 2001 on Ed Scott. He'd been in some mentioned in some other books before. But, you know, really the the push for telling this story has to go to the family. You know, I hope they're listening. And uh, Ed Scott's daughter, Walena, had been pushing for any kind of number of things to be told, whether it was a movie or a book. And I was fortunate enough to connect with her in 2013. And um, at that time, Ed Scott was still living. He's uh, passed, unfortunately, left us now, but left us with a wonderful story. When I first went up to, to visit him, I knew from that first meeting that this was a story that needed to be told. He just unfurled it before me and hearing not just about his exploits in catfish, but going back to his World War II history. He was a veteran of the war and, and fought with General Patton on the Western Front wow. and marched at Selma and had so many uh, really important moments in his life that I think give a lens to look at American history uh, a little differently. Fantastic. Now talk to us a little bit about the Southern Foodway Alliance. So they're part of the Center for the Study of Southern Culture at Ole Miss, and their their mission and purpose is you know to use food as a way to talk about race and class and uh, personal experiences. And so that's um, really a, an important thing that they do. And I've been fortunate to collaborate with them on a number of different projects. And they just have a, a wonderful place in my heart. Because I think as we eat, as we share a common table with people, that's a way to start conversations. And Absolutely. I come from the art background. I think visual art does that too. But food, it really is that that portal into people's worlds and people's lives. And so they're, uh, they're a real big force in, in telling these really important Southern stories. So now, is this your first um, book written, or do you have many others that you've authored? This is the first one, and uh, like I said, it just presented itself, and it needed to be written, and I was happy to, to take that, that charge on. Um, other collaborations are in the works for me, but I, you know, I, just, I try to find what Mississippi needs for me, and, then, and that's directed uh, my career. Fantastic. Yeah, like Deborah always says, um, I, I um, dabble with the Southern Foodway Alliance, and like Deborah always says, food is the great common denominator. So when you want to tell those, I guess, complicated stories, food is a nice uh, way to make that bridge. Well, food is a way to uncomplicate the stories because what you'll find is that is the heartbeat of who we all are. And it really reveals those cultural secrets that we want to share with each other. And we find out that we are truly more alike than we are different when you start to sit down and break bread. And you'll find out that most people just want to be loved. They want to be understood and they want to be accepted. And food is a way to do that. It's a great way to break bread with your sisters and brothers and share love. And for me, being a Mississippi girl, it really is the heartbeat of Southern hospitality. It's that front door opening, you know, sitting on the front porch and drinking sweet tea and, you know, sharing old stories and learning about people's lives. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing about about kitchens um, and and eating food with one another is it's such an intimate experience being in someone's home. And I think when you're telling stories, that in Mississippi do have these connections to these huge movements and um, important epics of, of American history, it, it helps to have a, a more personal entree, if you will, into those stories. And, you know, for example, Ed Scott, the hero of this book, his wife, Edna, opened up a kitchen to feed the plant workers when he opened up his catfish plant, and she handed down recipes. And those conversations that happened around the table, that's where people talked about difficult issues, whether it was within their family or 
different kinds of people coming together to eat. And that's where some real good work can happen in terms of people coming together. My grandmother would say that's where the healing would happen at the table. You, you fix the meal. Uh, and of course, that meal is prepared, you know, with love. But as people, again, are talking and sharing, then there's some wisdom that can be added and there's the help that they need. And healing begins in people's lives over breaking bread. It is what we believe culturally, even when you look at the Christian story, it's that whole idea of breaking bread with one another. And it's still alive in us today. And I'm really excited about, you know, that because it's stories like this one that will last for generations to come and for people to understand the value of just sitting down at the table and loving on each other. This morning, we're talking to Julia Rankin, author of the book, Catfish Dream. And, uh, you, you, this is a partnership with the Southern Fruitway Alliance, and it's through the is it the Rivendale Fellowship? They they uh, awarded me. Um, I was honored to be awarded their their first Rivendell Writers Fellowship a number of years ago, and and I was working on this project. And the the book itself is published as a series that Southern Foodways Alliance does. Their series, their studies in culture, people, and place, and it's published by University of Georgia Press. So that's the full kind of the, all the parties involved to make that happen. Okay. And now we were talking, like you alluded to, Ed Scott Jr. Um, he fought in World War II next to General Patton, also um, marched across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And um, like <laughs> many, I guess you would say, cooks or um, uh, civil people, he fed the civil rights marchers that came through Mississippi. Tell us more about, uh, I guess, his such a full life he led even though he wrote himself in the history books as the first plant, catfish plant owner. Yeah, and really to start, you have to he's he's a junior, so that means there's a senior. <laughs> and, Which is a, a, another a part that um, Ed Scott Sr., he needs to book his own self. He does. <laughs> and so Edward Sr. started this all. He came and brought the family to Mississippi in 1919. So he came from Alabama settled uh, near Glendora, which is right near kind of LaFleur, Tallahatchie County area. And he worked for nine years as a sharecropper before he could save up enough money to buy his first piece of land. And Ed Scott was born in 1922 and grew up with brothers and sisters galore, a whole um, bunch of children that worked the land and learned from their father. And by the time that Ed was growing up, Mr. Scott, he, um, he, he had really learned that all the lessons that he didn't get in the school books, that the education system that was not affording the opportunities to African-American children, he really learned you know, perseverance and the, the promise of labor from his father. And so you know, by the time that he went off to, to World War II and came home, he, he had thought, you know, I don't, I don't want to be Mississippi anymore was his first thought coming home because the veterans were not treated well. You know, he says he and James Baldwin talks about this, you risk your life for your country abroad and come home and you have to fight it all again here, and you're, you're a whole, other, whole other story. Exactly, but he <laughs> but he saw that his father, who by that time, you know, they they had amassed, um, you know, during the middle twentieth century, about a thousand acres, and so Ed Scott Jr. saw that his father needed help on the farm, and he said, you know, I'm going to stay here and farm with you, Daddy, and so he did that, and that was the the first chapter of them amassing the land, and then Ed Scott taking over the mantle from his father and just expanding. And I, I like to say in the book, you know, they had this same aspiration which was you know, an American empire for as many as it could feed. And this was black self-determination at its finest in, in a place in the Delta, um, which where that was and, and still is such an important thing. And that's the the key word that I wanted uh, wanted to be uh, expounded on is uh, empire because this was uh, in the early 1960s, uh, I would, you would say that they were 
doing it. <laughs> they were making it happen as an African American uh, family uh, farming out of the out of the Delta. Uh, talk about uh, what was it, nineteen seventy eight. I guess it was like a million dollar profit or something. Yeah. So (laughs) this gets into the whole, they were farming cotton, rice, soybeans, you know, row crops. And, you know, they had been going to local banks and farming uh, their own system of lending. And they had really been having wonderful times in rice. So in 1978 was kind of the high time in in rice. They they made a million dollars in rice and they had this annual rice festival. You know, they they under the tractor shed, the bluesmen came and play, the parchman band set up and they, this is where they harvested all the rice. They had all these grain bins they had built to hold um, all their crop. Ed Scott liked to say that it was so full you couldn't get a coffee stirrer in there. They had so much <laughs> rice. And so that was their, their real high time in rice. But what happened around that time to all farmers was the global markets, for various reasons, it was a grain embargo with Russia and other things, that the volatility of these crops wasn't as sustainable as it had been. And so that's when catfish started to be a, a new savior of the Delta, people thought, and that set up what would you know be Ed Scott's crowning achievement, but it also set up when he went to the government for money, which he also did in 1978. So after this high time in, in Rice, he went to the United States Department of Agriculture through what was then called the Farmer's Home Administration. And as you know, if you're a history buff, um, there was racial discrimination embedded in that system. So he unfortunately was positioned to really capitalize on catfish, but also held back by a government that discriminated against him. So why the title Catfish Dream? So this is probably my favorite quote from Mr. Scott. He uh, he says, you know, my motto is don't stop chasing your dream. And that was my dream to grow those catfish, which I did. You wow. know, just matter of fact. And, and I think the dream you know, it resonates with the dreams of civil rights leaders um, but also the dream in the context of the Delta and of the catfish industry of just having equal opportunity to participate in it. And so when he says, you know, this was my dream and, and I did this, that's not, you know, just a throwaway line that is embedded with centuries and in and, and his own personal experience, decades of struggling to just get equal access to really the, the free market. It wasn't a free market for everybody. Exactly. So how has writing this book changed you? Well, a number of ways. I mean, I th- I think being a first book, um, it was I didn't know how to write a book before I wrote this, and I like to say that I learned, you know, how to write a book by writing this book, but also that I learned in a strange way from Ed Scott. You know, it, the farming, the way that you think about the endless fields of farming, um, the the row after row, up and down, and that was to me analogous to you know paragraph after paragraph, or you know coming to a problem and having to solve it. And that was what Ed Scott really taught me. And I think that, to me, is what the book and the story is lasting achievement is that, you know, Ed Scott does not necessarily just teach us about how to farm. He was a great farmer. But what his lessons teach contemporary people is that there's a way to figure it out. There's a way to coalesce around family, um, cooperative enterprise that can be applicable to wherever you are. And that ultimately goes far beyond Mississippi Delta and really encapsulates where we are um, today. It sounds like the kind of book that would be great for uh, any school of studies for entrepreneurship, you know, because it it does have this intrinsic value of being determined and learning how to think outside of the box. Uh, and I and I just you know hearing these bits and pieces, it really just it, even stirring me up into where I'm going 
don't quit no matter what happens. Yeah, and you know the the, the kind of capital to capitalize and punctuate that point. So what what happened when he wanted to get into catfish was that he went to the government and they they basically said you need to have catfish ponds. Everybody's having catfish ponds, but they wouldn't give him any money to 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 dig them. So over the course of 1980, Ed Scott, his son Isaac, and others um, other sons and family members. Um, grandsons, they they spent the whole year digging out these catfish ponds, turned 160 acres that w- w- were fields into these catfish ponds. So just all night, all day, when they weren't farming the other fields, they dug them, and then they went back to the government and said, "We have catfish ponds. You know, let's let's do this." And they only gave them enough, you know, about a third of what they needed to to stock them, but they did it anyway. They stocked these fish, and by the time they're about ready to process, Ed Scott said, "Well, you know, now it's time to find a processor." And some big processors had come online in the Delta around that time, and he went. And, you know, these, of course, were white-owned processors, and you had to have stock in the plant. Well, they wouldn't give him any stock in the plant. So at this point, you know, he said, well, you know, he, he set up a plant tour with his, his white lawyer, set up a plant tour for him, and he was walking through the plant kind of observing what they were doing. And the guy giving him the tour was like, so you got any uh, any stock in the plant? Ed's like, no, I, I don't have any. He's like, do you have anything lined up with any live haulers who are going to take your fish? And Mr. Scott says, no. He says, what are you going to do with your fish then? Eat them? And Ed Scott says, well, no, I'm seeing what you're doing that I can't do myself. And he goes home and turns wow. a, a tractor shed into this processing plant because he couldn't get it done any either any other way. And so, you know, that's really what it's about. He he lays the concrete bit by bit, and by the time of 83 runs comes along and Billy Jean's topping the charts, <laughs> Ed, Ed Scott's opening his catfish plant. Fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, and that's just a tip of the iceberg for this story. We're talking with author Julian Rankin, uh, author of the book Catfish Dream, Ed Scott's Fight for His Family Farm and Racial Justice in the Mississippi Delta. We'll go ahead and take another break. We do have a caller on the line. We'll get to you, Edgar and Jackson, in just a little bit. But uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email, food at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back after the break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Java Chapman here with Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. And we're talking with author Julian Rankin about his new book, Catfish Dream. And if you miss any of today's program, you can always catch up uh, at our website, mpbonline.org. You can subscribe to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. If you want to join the conversation, we do have some phone lines open. one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Or send an email to food at mpbonline.org. I promised Edgar we would talk to him after the break, and that is what we're going to do. Edgar from Jackson, how you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing great. Glad to be talking with you. What do you Thanks, have for Edgar. us? Good Take morning, Edgar. Call. Hi there. How's everybody? Fantastic. Excellent, excellent. I just have a brief statement, and that is I had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Scott uh, years ago. Wow. Uh, I'm a native of of the Mississippi Delta, but at that time I was living in Massachusetts. I'd come down here for a meeting at Tougaloo College, and I was visiting my hometown, Hollandale, and I stopped, I think it might have been in Cleveland, I'm not sure, and I stopped in a restaurant. He was eating there. We began to talk, and I discovered that he 
was indeed a catfish farmer. Prior to that, the only catfish farmer that I had met during my visits to Mississippi were white. And he seemed like an impressive gentleman, and actually he gave me his card. And prior to calling you, I've been trying to find it because I kept it, but unfortunately I, don't, I can't. But I was really impressed by this, by this gentleman, and I'm certainly happy to see that someone has uh, picked up on his life and has written a book about him. Well, thank you so thank much, you, Edgar. Edgar. That's fantastic. So t- tell us what was your first impression of him. Well, actually, uh, he, was, uh, he was sort of a mild-mannered, uh, you might call cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in the vernacular, he was cool, but he uh, was determined to be successful. I could see that. And uh, when he passed me his card, he had no, no hesitation about telling me what he was doing, and I was really excited. Uh, had I come down and had I come back to Mississippi at that time, I was going to actually invest in what he was doing, but I stayed in Massachusetts for a while. So oh. I, I was, he strictly, he impressed me as a, uh, a go-getter. Well, thank you so much for that, Edgar. Yeah, thank you for that uh, that memory, Edgar. Can you uh, speak to that? Was he? I guess I know you met him in this later age, but could you still feel that from him? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you hear this from from people who who met him that you know Ed Ed commanded the room, but he was very generous. And you know when I met him, of course he was in his nineties. Um, but that, you know there's some archival video I discovered, and just the way he told stories, you know he took you back to where to, to these times and and even what he's saying rings true just in the way Ed told his own stories and I think what I love about interviewing people who are great storytellers is they also assume the characters of the people who are around them <laughs> so Ed would speak on behalf of his father who wasn't there to speak for him um and, and I think that you know Ed Scott was he, he's one one in a million but um in in a lot of ways he's He's representative of a lot of people who are doing wonderful things. So I think that's the great juxtaposition of the Delta and, and of, of Ed Scott's story is that he's an ex- exemplar, but also he just reflects kind of the humanity um, and trials and tribulations and successes of a lot of people who are making it with, with not a lot. Like we said earlier in the uh, program, so many stories here in Mississippi, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing that uh, Ed Scott is one that's being told uh, now, thanks to you, Julian. Uh, let's go back to the phone. We have uh, Rain from South Haven on the line who um, says they have a memory of Ed Scott. How you doing, Rain? Good morning. Good morning. What do you uh, have for program us? Brought, your, your program brought back uh, quite a bit of memories of uh, Mr. Scott. Um, 1989, we met, and at that time he was in need of um, funding. Uh, and I thought what he had there was quite impressive. And um, I think his children were in Washington, D.C. Um, but uh, in any event, uh, Peter D. Beaver and myself, we went down one Saturday. And uh, Mr. and Mrs. Scott treated us to uh, catfish while we talked about business. And uh, he wanted to get his Pond Fresh Catfish brand on the shelves at Grover's. And I told him that we could help him that and he did and uh, but he needed more and um, I explained to him that there were some people in the Caribbean that was interested in catfish farming or fish farming and he said well that I know and uh, we basically bartered uh, for the customer in, in uh, Honduras and in exchange for funding 
um, that he needed. Um, he provided expertise. And I always remembered him as that resourceful person. And over time, um, I went back into the military and uh, it recalled me. And um, we lost uh, contact. But um, the uh, folks in uh, Honduras, um, they were the better for having made contact with Mr. Scott. And um, they're still uh, producing catfish in, uh, wow. in that country right now. Uh, but um, I remember being um, very impressed uh, with his uh, tenaciousness. Well, thank you for that. Uh, thank you for that story, Rain. Uh, if I know you can't see in this in the studio, but Julian was shaking his head through the through the entire. Had you heard uh, pieces of that? Some of that, and you know, it just reminds me of the the whole market side of this, which was really interesting. You know, Isaac Scott is was Ed Scott's son and was with him through all of this. And there's a story that Isaac tells about going up to Cincinnati, where Kroger headquarters was and bringing a load of fish. They had this retrofitted bread truck that they carried fish around the country to, and they were trying to go everywhere And because there was, I mean, a huge catfish boom at this time. So Isaac set up in the Kroger headquarters in, in Cincinnati, and uh, and he had gone to Kroger headquarters and then set up in the aisle with a you know a skimmer and a fry daddy frying yeah. fish. <laughs> and I just have this memory of that he recollected to me of, you know, little did the people coming up the aisle know First of all, some of them didn't know what catfish was, and they, they tasted it and, and wanted more. But also that this wasn't just somebody frying fish. This was the the right hand man of of the the historic figure who was down in Mississippi, really making this happen. And so they they had to get on the front lines themselves to do this because even when there were opportunities open, um, there was another. There were forces trying to constrict the flow of of catfish to him. So even when he lost his ponds or the fish out of his ponds, which he ultimately did when the government um, continued to to pressure him and ultimately stopped funding him, he could have kept going if people hadn't tried to keep him um, to stop him. No. With that, with that being said, you know, it is for me, it is, is this uh, kind of fire right rising up in my spirit, you know, to no matter what happens, you have to be determined if you have a dream and it has value to you and that it could be uh, something that can add value to the rest of the world, no matter how deep the complexities are, is to continue to fight for that because you, it, no dream is ever going to come without diversity. Or And without adversity, it's just not going to happen. And so you have to just kind of mount yourself up and be determined no matter what, whether you're writing a book, you're uh, producing a movie, or you Or trying to work out that recipe that you just can't cook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no matter what happens, you have to be determined uh, to win at all costs. If we're not going to eat hot dogs and french fries today, we're not going to eat them. I'm going <laughs> to figure out their recipe. Now, talking about um, having good people, like you said, uh, his son uh, and I guess many members of his family uh, helped out Mr. Scott in his uh, historic rise. Uh, talk about the dependables. Uh, <laughs> there's a, 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 a dynamic group of women always throughout history, but talk, talk about that, uh, Julie. Yeah. The dependables, they, uh, they were his catfish special forces, I like to call them. And so he opened his plant in 1983 and, you know, African-Americans staffed all the plants around the area, but, you know, Ed Scott ran his a little differently. And 
Um, these women, there were a whole group of them. They basically, they like to say they did everything the men could do and more. And they, they would throw boxes of fish. They would go and, and help get the fish out of the ponds. They would do all the kind of nitty gritty gutting and yeah. skinning and, <laughs> and help set up orders and serve as the secretary or the plant manager. Um, and, I really loved sitting down with with those women and and hearing about what they did because it really sh- it showed why his business mattered so much. There was you know at the other plants there there were real issues with you know people trying to unionize, not being able to um, reports of harassment of various kinds. It was not a great place to work, but even though they were working at Mr. Scott's plant in a, in mud and guts, you know they loved where they worked because. Their their boss trusted them, and when when Ed Scott had to go away on business, he left it in their hands, and they were very um, upbeat about that um, about that experience. And that they're to a woman, they said, you know, if, if I could do it again and go back and work in a catfish plant, I'd do it again because of Mr. Scott. Now I saw that when I saw that uh, part about the book, the Dependables, I could picture them uh, going to the pond, getting the fish. Skinning the fish, gutting, making nice fillets, and then taking the gloves off, and then going placing the orders. Like I can see it all in like this. I I did this fish from top to bottom. <laughs> and to to say that Java, you would have to know that this is not easy work. If you've ever skinned a catfish before, it's not like scaling a fish. So you you talking about mud eaters first of all. So catching it is a, is a job. <laughs> then skinning it is a job, and then being able to fillet it with you know the kind of perfection so that you have a beautiful product this was truly some hard work and a labor of love and they were innovators they they did what they called deep skinning the catfish which is now you know a pretty commonplace thing but at the time not everyone was doing that and it, it they, they had to use every part of the fish um and so it really is true and at the beginning they didn't have everything automated so even at the plant opening they had a skinning contest you know hand skinning <laughs> hand filleting and they didn't have the the, the mechanization for the first several months of time, and they were still putting out tens of thousands of pounds of fish a day. Wow. So basically what he's saying is they didn't have these high-tech machines. <laughs> they did this hard work by hand. That's incredible. And I still can't believe, like you just said, when they was in Cincinnati, I guess, at the Kroger headquarters, some people still didn't know what catfish was. I can't think of a day. There are people I, that still don't know what well, Mississippi that, catfish is. Let me that do that. Unbelievable. Because, yeah, because there are, there are hundreds of varieties of catfish, but there's only one Mississippi Delta catfish. There's nothing like it in the entire world. <laughs> that is true. We're going to uh, take our last break for the hour. We're almost uh, done, but we've been having a great show talking about Ed Scott Jr., his fight for his family farm and racial... Wait, let me do this right. Julian Rankin, the author of the book Catfish Dream, Ed Scott's fight for his family farm and racial justice in the Mississippi Delta. We'll wrap up the program after this. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. And we're back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Java Chapman. Filling in for Kevin Farrell, who's uh, manning the boards today. I'm uh, here with the lovely Miss Deborah Hunter from Cooking with Honey and Friends. And we're talking with author Julian Rankin about his book, Catfish Dream. Uh, you got a couple, what, what should I say, book releases coming up? Yeah, there's a number of book events. And the, the first book launch is in Oxford, Mississippi at Square Books on July 12th. So next month, a, a lot of these events start. I'll be doing a History is Lunch program with Archives and History, I think the 18th of July. 
and uh, be here at Lemuria in August and the book festival. So I would just tell people if if you want to come out and, and see us and hear a reading and, and a number of, the, number of these places, the family will be there too. Um, we'll be in Cleveland and, and the Senator's Place, and we'll go to Mount Bayou, do one at the church, their congregation. So catfishdream.com is we're keeping track of all the events, and you can just go there, check it out, see video of Scott um, and the Scott family, both Isaac and Ed Scott, and, and learn more about the story. Yeah, and he passed, he passed away in uh, 2015, correct? Correct. But before he did, um, it's a lot of, I don't want to, I guess, give it away, but uh, <laughs> there was a lot of um, litigation about uh, some of the wrongdoings that were, I guess, eventually exposed um, with his farm and the government. Yeah, I mean, it, the the big class action suit in 1997 was called Pigford v. Glickman, and people know this was the largest civil rights settlement in the nation's history. And, you know, 20,000 um, black farmers essentially uh, alleged discrimination once this uh, went, went to trial. And, and, and the, the farmers won and huge settlement. There was a pig for two to pay out more. But the, the big thing to take away from that is Ed Scott kept going, kept fighting. And even after 1999, the decision came down that there, there would be this restitution. It still took a legal machine kept going for another decade before Ed Scott finally got um, what he deserved. And, and there's even more to that story, even beyond that. But I guess all I have to say is the family has not stopped um, working the land, uh, not to give anything away, um, but they're still working. Walena Scott-White, who I mentioned, um, Ed Scott's daughter, is working on a museum to tell these stories of, of Delta farmers again. And so the generations just keep going and people wow. are still doing this work. It's amazing how, you know, when you start on a journey, how it can uh, explode into so many other areas and affect so many other people's lives. Because I'm sure when he started out as an entrepreneur, he never really realized that he would truly be a fighter for justice as well. Yeah, you're just you do what you're called to do. And, you know, like you were saying, back to the whole to to wrap it up in a nice, neat bow, you know, food is how we sustain ourselves. Um, but it really opens the door for everything else. So he 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 just wanted to to farm catfish, but that's not it wasn't the luxury he had. He was a black man in Mississippi at a time um, when people didn't want him to succeed, and there were things he needed to help his his fellow farmers who didn't have enough. So he built a co-op. He needed to feed the civil rights workers, so he did that, and he needed to leave a legacy that others could learn from. And and that's what this book is. And and Ed Scott will always be with us through that. Oh yeah, and it's just it's kind of sad as as I think about it. It's just all because of the color of his skin. I mean, you know, they asked him. He said, "You need some catfish ponds." He went and got the catfish ponds, uh, just off sheer determination. And they still tried to hold him hold him back a little bit. But um, uh, thank you for coming in today, Julian. We really do appreciate it. And um, I know you left or you are leaving with uh, some Mississippi pea pot. <laughs> you can't come and talk about food without eating some food. So I appreciate that. It's delicious. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's um, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, uh, catfishdream.com. You have uh, any other uh, works coming up? Y'all should just check us out to plug my day job at the Mississippi Museum of Art. You know? That's yeah, what you do. Um, it's a beautiful. Um, uh, our friend Nick Wallace uh, was the, um, the chef over there in a little while. And they, I think they still have the garden in the back. We do. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a, um, a, a nice place. And what's the restaurant, Palette? We actually have La Brioche in there now. Okay, so the, okay. The, the bakery, It's we're always doing something new, and, and that's it's kind of dangerous for my waistline to have <laughs> macaroons available every day. Oh, my gosh, that's fantastic. Yeah, just when you jump in. Um, um, now, we I can't believe we danced around this whole subject this morning. How do you like your catfish, Julian? It's got to be fried. <laughs> 
true Mississippi just nothing, man. Just nothing. <laughs> hot, hot sauce, no hot sauce. I mean, I'll take it anyway, but I like I like having hot sauce. I like the option of some hot sauce, but I'll just give me a fillet, and I don't need much else. Okay, because I'm not a, I'm not a hot sauce uh, person. I know Deborah will probably put some hot sauce uh, pepper in her in her actually, meal. <laughs> actually, actually, when it comes to catfish, I, I want a little bit of uh, either some fresh slaw served with it, or a little bit of tartar sauce. Uh, I don't do hot, the hot sauce on my catfish. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Wow. yeah. You, I mean, even though I might have some hot sauce in my purse, <laughs> I'll just say you know Ed, Edna Scott had a had a magic meal mix, her special meal mix spices, and they would say you know, you could fry an old shoe in that, and that's all you needed. It was so good they could fry anything in that meal mix, and that was her secret recipe. So she, her husband grew the fish, she cooked the fish, and from from the pond to the plate. Yeah, it, and that's the great thing about you know Mississippi Delta catfish. You really don't have to have a whole lot of uh, condiments to go with it because it's light, it's flaky, and then it has this really soft, sweet taste with every bite. And so you know you don't have to cover it up with something else like ketchup and hot sauce. You just go in and you enjoy it. And that's a, like I don't know how this works, but yesterday was Father's Day, and my dad he made some beautiful catfish. I mean, you know, he cooked on Father's Day. I don't think mothers cook on Mother's Day, but I was glad. <laughs> I was glad. Are you being salty? No, I'm not, not being salty. I'm just stating. I'm just stating facts. Uh, but no, he uh, he he. Does. That's because mothers cook every other day. <laughs> Well, I mean, my dad, the way my dad does his catfish, I mean, he can, he can do it every day. I mean, he gets the nice, I, I just, they were, I just, I, I'm Do I need to step I in wish. and referee here? <laughs> it sounds, yeah, it sounds like we're going to have one of the, the, but the optic word was he could. And they, you know, so, and it's usually the moms are usually the ones that are cooking and making sure. No, he could, he does. The catfish is always <laughs> nice, flaky, lovely. I wish I had some right now, but we'll say that for another Kevin Farrell, I love you. These <laughs> I'm dining. Is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded by the generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show was produced today by Kevin Fair. Our call screener today was Liz Gill, the awesome Liz Gill for Deborah Hunter and our guest Julian Rankin. I'm Java Chapman. Stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey and Southern Remedy at 11 a.m. And make sure you join us next Monday at 9 for Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio.